It's good to be uh, gathered with you today. It's good to be able to, to meet with the Lord and encounter Him, minister to His presence as we do in worship. And I've been really struck by that kind of intersection of, of prayer and worship and worship and prayer. And so thanks for leaning into that today. We'll see what the Lord has for us as we continue to go forward. Um, I don't know if you know this, but next summer will be the Olympics. Do you guys like the Olympics? Anybody like summer Olympic games? Sort of fun, right? Um, yeah, 2024, uh, the Olympics will be held in Paris. Um, did you know that there's a Paris in Pennsylvania? There is a Paris in Pennsylvania. It's a uh, population 842. It's just west of Pittsburgh, almost on the Ohio County line. That's not where they're doing the Olympics this year, or next year. Uh, I think they decided to keep it in the big one over in France. Uh, several years ago, I was thinking about the Olympics because so several years ago, one of our students from campus, uh, an athlete at Penn State, actually uh, qualified for the Olympic Games. Her name is Bridget Frenick, and she competed in the steeplechase event. How many of you know what steeplechase is? How many of you are like, I think I've heard of that, but I don't really know what that is? Okay, a few of you. If you're not quite sure what the steeplechase is, you want to think about the best game of tag ever invented, probably by elementary school children, because it involves a lot of jumping over stuff, including mud puddles. Um, that's the race. That's the steeplechase. And so it's almost a mile with 18 barriers, five water jumps. Uh, it, here's an interesting little fact for you. Originally, the steeplechase was an equestrian thing where riders would go over very long distances, again, jumping over water and other barriers and things. And they called it steeplechase because the highest point in the neighboring town was usually the steeple on top of a church. And so that would be kind of the marker where they would see and make sure they know where they were going. And so that's literally the name steeplechase where it came from. Now we celebrate it more with the, uh, with the runners and them doing their things or whatever. Now you might be wondering, why are we talking about this? Um, well, I'm thinking about starting a church league competition. A lot of our community churches have steeples already, so I think it could be sort of fun. And I know Chuck over here has been getting himself in shape, so if you feel good about uh, you know, some hurdles and some water jumps and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not why. Uh, you may be thinking perhaps that's a good illustration of the Christian journey, right? You're running a race, but there are obstacles to be navigated. And that is very true. And there is not anybody that is here today, if you're walking uh, the journey with Christ that you do not encounter obstacles that you've got to figure out what you're going to do with them. And it's not always easy, and it's rarely simple. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes you don't clear that, that hurdle or that thing. So, and if you watch the steeplechase competitions, sometimes there's blood and bruising and everything else that happens. And for that reason, I think yeah, it's probably not a bad illustration to think about the Christian journey. But specifically today, I think it is a great illustration for this series on generous living. Because almost every person that I talk to, in fact, I'm, I'm batting a thousand so far, if I can mix sports metaphors, steeplechase and baseball. Uh, every person that I've talked to that is a Jesus-loving person has said to me in one form or another, I want to be generous. I have yet to meet the Jesus-loving person who says, I have no interest in being a generous person. And so we want to be generous, we want to run that race well, but it is also very common for me to talk to people who say, I feel like I'm running into some obstacles. Though I want to be generous, though I want that to be a part of how my life is defined, it's hard to get there. 
and I'm running into some of these, some of these obstacles. And so I think that this illustration serves very well for us who want to be living generously. We want to run a race well, but it is hard to do. There are obstacles that we need to navigate. In fact, that will be the subject of today's message. What are the obstacles that would keep you from living a generous life, to living out biblical stewardship? And I'm certain that they are there. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to ask you at the end of the message is to share with me some of the things that have been obstacles in your life that you have seen. So I'll cover a few that I have seen, but I want to hear from you because I've had a really strong sense in the scope of this series that the Holy Spirit is saying, I've actually already written a lot of this story I've just written it in the lives of the people. Many of you that have navigated some of this journey of generosity and what does it mean and obstacles toward generosity and what does it mean. Uh, so we want to hear from you and I'm going to tell, tell you a little bit about how, we, how you'll have an opportunity to share some of your story. A uh, little bit of review, what we've talked about so far, generosity begins in the heart. It's not a matter of your wallet or your bank account or your investment strategy. Generosity begins in the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, it was important to him, it's important to us, and so generosity begins in the heart. Uh, we've talked uh, at some length about giving to give, not to get. So when I'll talk about that a little bit more today, that we have to understand what do we mean by the blessings that God pours out over us. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more today because I think it's such an important aspect for us. Uh, we've talked in this series about the fact that it really only hurts to give when you think that it's yours. You know, when I think it's mine, uh, the financial wealth that I have, it can be very painful uh, to part with it. Uh, when I actually see from a godly, biblical stewardship perspective that what I have is entrusted to me, has been entrusted to me by God, it is his, not mine, uh, when he asks me to give a portion of it, it's really not that painful. So we've talked about that somewhat throughout this series as well. Uh, we've also talked about the fact that Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. So this actually becomes a radically important discipleship question for those who would follow Christ, that there is literally an inverse relationship. When you pursue the one, it diminishes your love of the other. And so it is an important, and we said from the beginning, this will be an unapologetic uh, marker of discipleship when we think about what does it mean to be generous. Last week we were talking about the tithe, which is essentially 10%, giving 10% of your income or your wealth uh, back to kingdom purposes, giving it back to God, honoring God with your first fruits. And we talked about this in the context of having a full-spectrum biblical calling. And this is an important distinction that I want to actually unpack with you a little bit today. Does it make a difference in the realm of tithing, giving 10% back to God, when you come from an old covenant mentality or a new covenant mentality? And I think it makes a ton of difference. Um, I want to share that with you a little bit in the context of our message here today. But what we see when we look at the notion of tithing throughout the Bible is we see that it is referenced, commanded, reminded, or encouraged in pre-law, old covenant, wisdom literature, prophetic correctives, and the words of Jesus himself. So it's an important one, um, biblically. So for the person that says, and I suspect with the demographic in this uh, service today, that there are a lot of people who would say, I want to be generous. 
As I said, I've not talked to people who say, I'm not interested in being generous. People want to be generous, but I've heard testimonies from many people to hear that your life story goes like this. I want to be generous. I want to live well. I want to live a life that is is worthy of emulation. I want to be uh, pouring out in all of those kind of ways, but I'm really not in a place where I can do that. That is an obstacle to generosity. And so we're going to talk about that today without any guilt or any shame. We want to say yes. We want to learn how to do this well together. I want to be generous. I want to even tithe. But there are obstacles that I need to learn to navigate. And that's where we're going to go today. I want you to read with me in Malachi chapter 3. Okay, we referenced this passage last week. I want to read to you several uh, verses from it. We're going to read 6 to 10 today. I'm going to pre- uh, warn you to say this this is a passage many of you maybe know this passage this starts with a rebuke uh, so this is a hard passage but then what we actually see is that mixed in with the rebuke of God or the discipline of God comes the invitation to the blessing of God and so I want you to receive that and hear it this would be old covenant people hearing from the prophet Malachi a corrective word and this is what it sounds like beginning in verse 6 I, the Lord, do not change. That's what God says to the prophet Malachi. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decree, decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That is, in essence, the heart of the prophetic word to God's people all throughout the prophecies. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? And then here's the question that is the answer to the question. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, verse 9. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be not, there will not be room enough to store it. I'm going to pause there. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. And we're going to unpack this passage just a little bit to get our minds around this idea of a strong rebuke that also entails with it a powerful blessing for God's people. So let's note just a couple of things. Number one, note that there is a consistency of God's character. Verse 6, I don't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is God saying to his people, I'm not changing. This is not a different face than you had before. I'm not going to be different later on. In other words, the character of God, the things that he values, the things that he desires for and from his people hasn't changed. So he tells us in verse 6, I don't change. But then he says this, there's a prophetic call to return to God. This is verse 7. Return to God and I will return to you. You can hear the heart and the value of God saying to his people, more than anything, I want you to be in communion with me. Though your track record has been a wreck, though you have robbed me, though you have missed the mark time and time again, return to me, and I'm going to return to you. That's the heart of God through the prophet Malachi to his people. Now this gives me a little encouragement. I just want you to note this as well. 
If you have any level of struggle in the area of biblical stewardship, my heart doesn't naturally uh, respond generously. I'm not generous with other people, uh, whatever the, the challenge would be. If you have a challenge in that area, you're actually in pretty good company. Because here is God's anointed people called out to be differently, to, to live differently, to have set an example for the world that they lived in, and they missed the mark. Generation after generation after generation to the part that he said, the whole nation of you is missing the mark. Now I actually take a little bit of encouragement with that. Because if I've struggled a little bit, God's people have struggled a little bit. And he has made a plan for them. He's not given up on them. Now here's a new covenant reality. I want to make sure we see this. And then we're going to talk about a couple specific uh, obstacles that we need to navigate. Uh, this new covenant reality. Verse 9 says, there is a curse on the whole nation. This is, a, this is a rough pronouncement. He says, the whole nation is under a curse because their lack of ability to honor God with their first fruits, they're holding back for themselves the things that God had commanded them to give. He said, you're stepping out from the blessing and under the curse. To fall short of the law of God is to be cursed but not for you. Galatians 3.13 tells us that the curse of the law and our inability to follow the law is broken at the finished work of Jesus. Is that good news to anybody today to say amen if you think that's good news? Because that means all of it. Not just the tithing stuff, that means all of it. Every place that you would have been found guilty of following, falling short of the glory of God, falling short of the, the law and his high standard, the curse of sin is broken through Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means, and this is really important for us, that the motivation for honoring the Lord with generous living is drastically changed. That we do not tithe because we are demanded to tithe in the law. We tithe and even give more and even more generously because the law of God is written on your heart. That was the mark of the new covenant. That was the blessing that the people in Malachi's day didn't have. They were following the law and falling woefully short of it. So much so that God's saying, this is a total mess. This is a disaster. You've got to return to me. You've got you to learn again the things that you have missed. But for you in the new covenant, the message is different. You don't tithe or live generously because the law demands it. You tithe, you give generously because the law of God is written on your heart. That was the point of the new covenant. I will put my heart, I will give them a new heart, a heart of flesh to replace their heart of stone. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. I'm going to indwell this people with my spirit and I'm going to infuse their life with the character of Christ. So generosity is not something that God is demanding of you. Generosity is something that God wants to live out through you. That's a vital, important change for us. So the curse is lifted. I find this to be interesting. The curse is broken with Christ, but the blessing still remains. So Jesus, or God says to, to his people, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then this sort of famous passage, he says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Test me in this. In other words, 
learn to run this race and see the adventure that I'm going to pour out around and through you. Now, what we have to get our minds around, and we're going to talk about it today in this message, is, again, how do we define the notion of blessing? What does it mean to walk in the blessing? So the curse is lifted at the cross, but the blessing still remains, and the blessing is still for us. So I see this. I want to give one more little point to this passage, and then we're going to look at a couple of these obstacles together. Um, I note this as well. When you read Scripture, it's not uncommon to find the rebuke of God over his people. In fact, we just read last week, don't, don't, don't despise the discipline of God because he disciplines those whom he loves. Just like you're his child, he's gonna discipline you in such a way as an, as an expression of his love for you. It is not uncommon to hear the rebuke of God over his people, and yet even in the passages that bear the rebuke, like this one, you're under a curse, this is a total mess, you also see the blessing. I, I think about other passages like we, we read through several weeks ago, the church of Laodicea, uh, and Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea and saying, uh, you're lukewarm, you remember this, you're not hot or cold, and so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Like the lukewarm church is nauseating to Jesus. Like I do not even want to be associated, associated with you, and yet it is to the lukewarm church that, church that Jesus says, but I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And if you open up the door, I'm coming in, and I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to have relationship restored with you. So you you get this that the rebuke of God is not the end of the story. And even if you go through a passage like this or a series like this, and it causes you to say, "Man, I've got some work to do." Like I, I don't even really know where to start with this. The rebuke of God is not the end of the story that he actually is promising the blessing to the very people that he's rebuking. He's promising his presence to the very church that he says, you're lukewarm and I want to spit you out of my mouth, but I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And so we see this beautiful connection between blessing, uh, between uh, rebuke and blessing here. So let, let's talk about a couple of obstacles that you are likely going to run into, if you haven't already, in your journey uh, toward generosity. Number one is this, the obstacle of directionlessness. I'm not certain that's a word, but you know what I mean by it, right? You know what direction is, you know what it is like to be directionless, the, the, the state of being directionless, directionlessness. That is an obstacle. That, now, now here's the thing, in, the, in the, the prophet Malachi, he is bringing the word of God to a people that for all we know are living unaware of the displeasure of God over their life. They're not fully aware. They need to hear it because in their directionlessness, they need to be uh, steered in the right direction. Now, let me give you a quick example since we're talking some track and field stuff before. When I was probably uh, a sophomore, maybe junior in high school, I think it was a sophomore though, uh, our school decided to start a like pilot program for a cross-country team, you know, cross-country running. So several of us that played other sports thought this could be a great way to either stay in shape or get in shape by just doing a bunch of running, right? So many of us signed up and, and did this thing. I learned a little bit about me, that body, soul, and spirit, I am not a distance runner. It was not a comfortable experience for me. I was not the fastest guy. 
But I had some interesting perspective. There was a guy named Steve that was on our team, a tremendous basketball player, and as it turns out, an excellent distance runner. So though we were a little local team and an upstart kind of program, in our regional gatherings, this guy was always out front. I mean, he was leading the pack. He was winning races. He was a really genuinely good runner uh, for like the 5K and the things that you do in cross country. The thing he was not good at was direction. So he was carving trails for himself that had nothing to do with the actual course. And our coach would see him oftentimes across fields and woods and things like that, trying to yell to him, you're going the wrong way. You're running well, but you're not going the right way. The other problem was none of us could catch him. So here's the guy leading the pack, but going in the wrong direction. I never had this problem because I was never leading the pack. I just kind of followed where people went. If I could finish the race, that was a pretty good thing. Here's the guy out front, and he doesn't know where he's going. He's directionless. And if you've ever run cross country, you would probably surmise that's not a good way to run the race, adding on all kinds of extra time and detours and things like that. So that was Steve. Here's the question. When you think about generosity in the weeks that we've talked, you get excited. I want to be generous. I want to be like the stories, you know, the testimonies that you hear of people giving so much. Everything. Maybe you even say, I'm going to just start giving away all, everything that I have. That's directionless. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, what we're calling you to in a series like this is not to just get, give stuff quickly. It's to steward in a way that brings greater wisdom in all areas of financial health. That includes how you spend how you save, that includes your giving. But the idea is not to simply say that all you have to do is just give, give, and give. If you do that, you're going to be out of, you have nothing to give uh, in very short order. Now, little sidebar is to say this. Maybe God puts that on your heart. If God's speaking to you and saying, no, I want you to give more, then you've got to be obedient to what he's calling you to do. And I've heard a lot of powerful stories about God doing that. But we're talking about stewardship. We're talking about having direction, having a plan, stewarding in a, stewarding in a way that brings greater wisdom in all areas of financial health. Spending, saving, giving. Uh, this is where you start to find uh, young people. My, my, I got some younger brothers and sisters that are here, and I've had enough years that I can kind of, a couple gray hairs coming in and all that stuff, that I can say, look, I've learned a couple of things. This is where finding direction, you start to learn that having a budget is actually, your budget is your friend. This is where you start to learn that debt is a burden and the debtor is in fact slave to the lender, which is what Proverbs says. It, it, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm, I'm praying for, for you and, and we're all on this journey. None of us are done with this journey yet. We're growing and we're learning together and, and I sense that God, as, as I said, has a lot to teach us collectively. But right now we're looking at $16.5 trillion in household debt we're hearing stories of inflation on the rise and a questionable financial forecast in the coming year. This is a bad time to not have a plan, right? So being directionless becomes an obstacle. And so to the person who says, I want to live generously, I'm just not, I just don't know where, even where to start. We say, all right, we want to help. The reason that Amy and I are going to lead through a Financial Peace University class, uh, we're going to begin next week, and we're going to go through this with you because we care about this stewardship journey and we care about you. This is a part of your discipleship. It's a part of your journey with the Lord. And we have heard testimonies of a lot of people, just, I mean, there's people in this room who have recently said to us, we went through that and we were so glad that we did. 
You know, because God gave us the tools and set direction in our life so that we were not running into this obstacle of directionless. So uh, let's jump in on that. If you, have, if you have any interest at all, we would love for you to get healthy in that area. The second obstacle is this, and this is an obstacle we're always going to have to face. It is the obstacle of the old nature. Again, when we look at the passage in Malachi, what are God's people dealing with? They're dealing with the old nature. You know, I say they, they heard the law, they knew the law, but the law was hard. Following God in obedience is hard, right? So the old nature creeps up, and, and then they come to this point where they're, they're outside of the blessing of God. Uh, my motives will skew towards selfishness apart from the character of Christ. So in the area of living generously, if I don't have a commitment to continually die to self, I'll never get there. God wants to live his character out through me. Uh, C.S. Lewis has something to say on this, and I found this to be actually very helpful when we ask questions like, well, what should I give? You know, what should giving look like in my life? So uh, let me give you this quote from C.S. Lewis. We have it up on the screen for you. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And I read that and I said, I have no idea what he means by that. So continue on. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. Now that I can get my mind around. He goes on to say this. If our charities do not at all pinch us, pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That's actually kind of measurable when you think about that. It gets in your business a little bit and it may even make you uncomfortable to some extent. But I have actually heard that testimony from person after person in this church who has said, I have made a commitment to follow the Lord in tithing and it has cost me. There are certain things that we have not been able to do because we have said yes to honoring God with our first fruits. However, to a person, every one of them has said, it has been worth the pain and it has been worth the effort. Which really causes you to wonder, why? Why would that be better? And this actually takes us to an interesting thing. Recognizing blessing as something other than financial return. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky, and we've danced around this a little bit, but I want to try to lean into it as best as I can with you here today. When you have the blessing of contentedness, when you have the blessing of maturity, when you have the blessing of open-handedness, when you have the blessing of joy in giving, and I've heard those stories from you as well. I mean, I love that you want to talk about them. And you know what, listen, you're not bragging when you say that. You're just affirming that what Jesus said was actually true. It's better to give than to receive. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you start putting up billboards to tell me how much you gave and all that kind of stuff, I might pull you back and say, all right, that's enough, too much, right? But that's not what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing the testimony again and again of people saying it is, in fact, blessed to give than receive. Philippians 4.13 is an interesting example. We, we love Philippians 4.13. I can do all things 
Through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have quoted that verse at one point or another in your life? I'm going to make that shot. I can do all things, you know. I'm going to finish that mile. I can do all things. I'm going to get that promotion. I can do all things. You know, that's our pep talk verse. You know, I'm going to come next week. I'm going to put my little eye patches on, Philippians 4.13. can do all things. Do you know what Jesus, do you know what Paul was talking about when he wrote that? It is super on the nose. It's super specific. Let me read it to you, the verse right before. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Isn't that fascinating? That, that Paul sort of understood that the blessings that God would oftentimes give when we live generously is not financial well-being. And that's why we say no to the prosperity gospel. Now, there's another side of this that's sort of fascinating and interesting. We just have to attend it carefully, and that is this. Having said all of that several weeks over, I can also show you multiple testimonies of people and people that are sitting in this right room who said, yeah, but I couldn't outgive God financially. I tried. I gave and gave and gave, and God kept giving me more. And that can happen. So I'm not trying to suggest to you that the blessings that God gives can't be financial. God can do what he wants. But what it means is this. God can choose to bless you financially or in other ways, but it is the obstacle of the old nature that will determine whether or not you can handle the blessings that he gives you. So God, keep us humble. God, keep us generous. I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be sad if the very gifts that God gives us become the idols that draw us away from him? So we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard of the obstacle of the old nature. Okay, um, I, wanna, I wanna give one sort of practical thing here before I move on to the last point. Uh, the practical thing is this. I wanna encourage you, if you're taking notes, write this down. Um, reject the temptation. This is an old nature sort of thing, very practical. Reject the temptation toward leveraged giving. And I mean two things by that. Leveraged giving. Number one, uh, giving in a way to push your agenda. You know, I really think the church needs to do this, uh, not do this thing, so I'm going to give, but I'm only going to give in this way that is to my agenda. Uh, resist that. That's actually a very old nature kind of thing. If God wants to do something, can't God do that? And if you want God to do something, can't you pray and ask him uh, and, and, and get direction that way instead of using your wallet as sort of some sort of leverage? That's an old nature kind of mentality in giving. So re reject the temptation toward leverage giving. And then this is the other one. When you say, or I say, uh, I'm gonna withhold my giving as an expression of my frustration. Uh, that happens in churches all the time, right? I'll tell you why that's a really bad idea. N number one, it, it doesn't honor God and it's old nature kind of through and through. Number two, I don't know what you are giving. The way that our finances are set up here in the church, and some of you know this and some of you don't, some of you are new to the church, I'm not privy to your giving. None of our pastors are. We have a very small financial team that processes things. When you make a gift to the church, a very small group of people, they, they know who that is, uh, and they, they log that and put it in the books or whatever, and that's it. So if you say, well, I don't like what you preached on this Sunday, <laughs> so I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna know. 
So it's, really, it's a really bad way to communicate. And, and, and so what it actually forces you to do is to, is to speak and to talk, right? And that's, I think, what, what happens. That's actually a beautiful thing when we come together and we say, I've, I've got, we need to reason together over something. I'm not convinced that we're doing the right thing or I've got questions that I'd like to get some answers to and we wanna make ourselves available to those kind of conversations when they need to happen. But leveraged giving by just saying, well, I'll just withhold my giving and he'll get the message. We won't. We won't know. So I would just say, reject that. That's, and that's old nature. That's old nature. We don't want to be old nature kind of givers. We want to be new nature givers. Um, so that's the second obstacle is, is the old nature. And a couple examples that I think are practical for you to be aware of. Here's the last one, and it's actually kind of quick. The last obstacle is the obstacle of limited perspective. So imagine, and I don't know how the message of Malachi was received by God's people. I imagine that there were some that brought some real fear and trembling. There are some that maybe were so kind of callous and hard, they said, we don't want to hear this, or whatever. But they had a limited perspective, and the prophetic word was what actually was going to wake them up to what was God's actual heart in this situation. And we saw before, it was a rebuke, but it was a rebuke with a promise of blessing as well, that God's heart was, and this is the thing amazing, we said this in week one, I mean, do you think that the people in Malachi's day, they're, they're robbing God, that's the word. They're not bringing the, 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 the things that were due to him. Uh, do you think that God shook Malachi up and gave him these words to say because he was tight on money? You know, that God was like, I don't know how I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it, right? Of course not, that's ridiculous. But there was something for them in that message. They said, I've got a heart for my people. I want them to be generous people. I want them to be first fruits kind of people. And so I'm gonna shake them up through the prophet Malachi. It wasn't for him, it was for them. Okay, we see that. So this is an, a change in their perspective. This is a recognition for us that giving is a spiritual exercise. That when you say, I'm gonna honor God with the first fruits that he's given to me, of what he's given to me, that that's actually a spiritual expression. It's an expression of worship, a valid one, a real, a tangible one that you can see either I'm gonna do or I'm not gonna do. And it's a relational one because I'm saying, Lord, I'm listening to what it is that he would ask of me. Look, I know some of you aren't here yet. I get it. But think about how amazing it would be if you were actually in that place where you'd say, I'm actually listening and I'm asking and I'm hearing the voice of the Lord and I'm responding. And God's blessing as I'm responding. That's a beautiful relationship. Um, you have a limited perspective. I have a limited perspective. That is an obstacle. So we receive a commitment to, to better working together. We, we recognize I'm not the final authority. When Jesus says things like ask and seek and knock, what's he saying? He said, well, you don't have everything that you need yet. You've got a limited perspective. So ask. Seek, knock. Here's the, here's the very practical questions. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit could guide me in this area of my life? Raise a hand if you think that's true. Even if you say, like, I'm not sure how to really work that out, but, like, that's a statement, right? I believe that the Holy Spirit could guide me in this area of my life. Why? Because I see it as a serious part of discipleship. Do I believe that God wants to help me in this area of my life? Yeah, I think he does. 
And I think I've got some growing to do. So every person that says, I've got some growing to do, I feel discouraged. Don't be discouraged. That's an obstacle. You've got a limited perspective. God's trying to increase your perspective. You've got to deal with your old nature. That's an obstacle. God wants to help you deal with your old nature, and giving is one of the ways that he does that. You've got an obstacle of directionlessness. I don't know where to go. Well, God wants to help you with that. We want to help you with that as a church. In closing, I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, tomorrow, I always send out this uh, from the pastor's desk. We send that letter. I know some of you throw that away. Don't throw it away tomorrow. Uh, it's coming in your inbox. Uh, I want to send a little survey uh, that I wrote up for, for us as a church because I really sense the Lord saying in this series, I'm already telling the story. I'm already telling the story. And I want you to contribute to this story. He said, you know, I want you to contribute. I want you to contribute to the story about what you have learned in the area of giving, what you have learned in the area of stewardship, the ways in which God has, has showed you what blessings look like, either financial or, or otherwise, that he wants to pour out in your life. I want you to help tell the story. I want to hear in that what are the commitments that, that you've made. And, and the reason I'm saying that, and again, you can do this anonymously. You don't have to give me your name or whatever. But if you do, that gives me an opportunity to say, hey, that family's making a commitment and that's a spiritual battle that they're stepping into. This is important stuff, and I want to pray for you. We want to resource you. We want to help you if you're making commitments to the Lord in this area of generous living. There also, there's also an opportunity to say, you know, maybe you're in a place right now where the biggest thing that you need is to ask for some help in an area of financial need. Our church does this all the time. We, we have an awesome team of people and we have generous people who have been blessed and said we want to help people who are in need and that might be that might be the most important thing that you do is say hey look it takes some humility right we're not going to broadcast this we keep it all very confidential but to say i could use some help right now that's the body of christ helping each other so i'm going to send you a little survey tomorrow look for that in the from the pastor's desk uh, letter. If you don't get that, call the office. We'll make sure you get on that list or whatever to get that. But we want to know how are we growing together. We want you to tell your story. And next week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up essentially with this question. What good things will God do when we grow in this together? And this is my honest answer to you. I don't think any of us has seen it yet. Now, you might have some amazing story that, yeah, I want to hear. You know, I want to hear your stories. But I suspect that God would say, you, you actually have not yet seen what I am going to do through a church that is going to collectively live generously. I get kind of excited about that. I'm going to share that with you next week. Today, we grow. That's a good thing. The church gets healthy. That's a good thing. By the way, I'm bringing this, this series to you not from a place of desperation, God has already been showing incredible generosity in incredible ways. Many, many folks doing a great job showing generosity. I just want to make sure that we're all on board and grow together. So I'm not coming to you say, oh, we're in big trouble. That's not what I'm saying. We grow, that's a good thing. The church is healthy, that's a good thing. Missional impact happens, that's a great thing. We want to go after all of that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want to just pray a blessing over you. And... Um, we will ask the Lord for some help. Jesus, thank you for 
Thanks for a giving church, Lord. We've seen for generations your faithfulness expressed through people who have made sacrifices. And right now, we are standing on the shoulders of people who have gone before. And they have prayed hard and they have given sacrificially. And they've been a part of the work of Christ here, which is one small expression of the greater work that you're doing all around the world. So we want, to just, we want to just pause on that for a moment. And we recognize thus far, Lord, you have led us. You have been good to us. You have been gracious to us. You've been patient with us. And in all those things, we just pause to say, Lord, thank you for that. But I pray very simply that you would stir in us. It's, it's amazing how generosity seems to just follow when we love you well. And I think about the words of Jesus, that those who have been forgiven much love much. So that I pray that you would help us to express that in our giving and in our stewarding. And we confess we've got obstacles we need to learn to navigate. Some of us are way down this journey and are kind of, you could write the book, you could write the sermons on how to, how to do this well. Others of us are getting started. Some of us are maybe discouraged. Some of us are maybe afraid. So Lord, I pray that today you would just infuse us with a, with a courage to say, yeah, we want to go after the things that you say are important. And Jesus, nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. So help us to steward well and help us to live generously. Look forward to seeing how you uh, move among us, even in these coming days. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's, uh, let's sing.